Hi everyone, welcome to episode 4 of Violinist on a Bicycle. I'm really excited to have a dear friend of mine, violinist and music educator Kendra Jock, on the podcast today. Kendra and I met at the Munn School of Music in our violin studio, and we were even neighbors for a couple of years. Kendra is also Inuit and grew up in Makovic, Labrador. And because there were no music teachers in her area, she took violin lessons online to prepare for university auditions. Kendra has so much incredible insight about a ton of things, especially about how classical music can be more accessible for rural and indigenous communities. I'm thrilled to have her here today because I think it's necessary that we hear what she has to say. Kendra. Hey. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, good. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you here. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I just I just mentioned in my introduction of you, you know, I think you have such a unique and important perspective and I'm I'm just excited for you to be able to share with everyone. Um, and I think it's important people hear, you know, your perspective. I'm excited to share, and I'm so glad that you asked me to be on your podcast. Oh my gosh, totally. So, Kendra, would you maybe want to start off uh, this podcast episode by talking kind of about your journey of pursuing violin and in Makovic and that transition that took you to university music? Sure. So I was a late bloomer. That's kind of like the little funny term I use with music. I didn't start until I was 14. Uh, going into 15. And in Makovic, when I was in grade nine, it was like near the end of the school year. I think it was like in April or May, mm. we had the violins brought in. And I told people, like at the music school, I told other people, like if it was any other instrument, that would have been my main instrument. Like if they brought flutes in, I would have been a flutist. Right. But it just happened to be violin. So I'm a violinist. Yeah. And <laughs> It was really cool because I thought it was a neat way for the class to be like a team. Right. So it was all like fiddle music at first. So it was like traditional Newfoundland music. And you could tell like a couple of the other students in my class didn't really enjoy it. But um, prior to music, a lot of like visual art stuff, like drawings and um, I was kind of touching into like digital stuff. I, I think I used to play in GIMP. It's kind of like paint, okay, yeah. but um, that I played with that. But I found when music came along, it was like a, another creative outlet for me. And it, it helped with my organizational skills and time management. So like all these other skills came along with making music right. and yeah. From grade 9 to grade 12, I had music each year. And I think it was in grade 12, I was the only student, I think, like in in the music classes. So they kind of like my other classmates branched off into, I think it was like another gym class or something. So it was like either gym or music. And I was the only one who took music. And after I had graduated and... I, I knew that I wanted to do music, but I didn't really know how to pursue it. Mm. So in the summer of 2008, 
I went to a music camp in Hopedale, that's a community uh, pretty close to McCovic. And then I met the former dean of the music school, uh, Dr. Tom Gordon. Mm. And he was the one who encouraged me to go to the Mon Music School. And I was like, I, I'd love to go, but I've no idea. And I, I didn't know how to really pursue it. And like looking back on it, it's really interesting because I didn't know you had to audition. Right. It's like kind of looking back at it, there was like, it's kind of obvious you have to show them your playing skills for them to, you know, evaluate whether or not you get in. Right. So I remember first seeing the list of requirements that you had to play. And it just seemed so vague at the time. It's like you have to play like two movements of Bach, I think it was, and it's like two movements of your own choice. Right. And it's like, I have no idea what to play. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't really have um, guidance at the time, like what to play. So I didn't really know how to prepare for that. So I think between, I didn't play much for about a year. I think it was like 2009, 2010. I didn't really play because I was in college in Goose Bay. Mm -hmm. And then I think it was in 2011, I started Skype lessons. And that went on until I got accepted into the music school. And it, that, that was kind of like a tangly journey because learning violin online was, it's a whole experience in itself. Oh, man, yeah. um, I had really bad internet in McCovic at the time. Like we couldn't really, just to give you like context for that, like it was really hard to stream Netflix or YouTube mm -hmm. or like downloading anything that was almost out the window. Like you could do it, but it was almost like an overnight task. Right. And I didn't really know how to have everything set up. I remember like the first microphone I had was like one of those old fashioned plug-in ones. Like, I don't even know if my computer has the plug-in right. for that now. <laughs> like my computer being like so modern, it was one of those ones that had kind of like, um, like a headphone jack. Right. I, like I, I'm just looking at my computer now. I don't think it has that. <laughs> so like, I don't. I don't even know like how well that worked. But <laughs> um, like, I didn't really have a way to test that. I suppose. Yeah. So um, like I don't think I can't remember, but I don't think my laptop at the time had a built-in microphone. Like I think it had to be an external mic. Right. So that was like nine years ago. So like even like looking at the technology now, it's like we've come a long way even since then. Oh, my God, yeah. And I think the, the first two teachers I had via Skype were both American. Okay. And one was really serious. He was like, I think he was like a trained Suzuki teacher. But he was very serious and like literally by the book. and he he just kind of like jumped in without explaining a lot of concepts to me. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like sink or swim when it came to playing with him. And we started, I think it was maybe 21 at the time. 
And I started with like Suzuki book two. So I felt like, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm way behind if I'm playing like this kind of music. But I really enjoy Suzuki book two regardless. So that was, that was fine. And I remember we got to the last tune in Suzuki book two, and there was a rhythm in that, that I couldn't get. And I remember specifically what it was. It was an eighth note with three quarter notes and then an eighth note, like this weird syncopation. And I could not get it for the life of me. So just turn the metronome on and play with that. And I'm like, I didn't know anything about like subdivisions at the time. And I couldn't get the quarter note to be like off the beat. Because I wasn't hearing those subdivisions and I think one of the last lessons, it was probably the last lesson I had with him, he said, you're not cut out to make music. Wow. And I, I was just like, what? Like, we've been at this. I think I was taking lessons with him for like eight or nine months. And then after he said that, he kind of implied like, well, when are we going to start lessons again? And I'm like, I'm, I'm not taking lessons with you anymore. No. And then, no, I was like, oh, I was super discouraged about that. But it's like, I'm not given up and the next guy that I was studying with he was a lot more laid back and he he had like um he gave me like a bit more creative freedom and that didn't really work at the time like I think he was a great teacher but he I think he was like too open Mm. maybe like and, and we didn't really cover like a lot of the fundamental concepts like he was kind of under the impression that I had a lot of those fundamental skills covered already. So I think with that person, I think it was only like a summer thing. Like it might've been like June till August, maybe not like maybe not even that. And then, then I came out to Mon and I was, I studied with a violinist who was at Mon at the time and I had lessons with her for about three months and we, oh man, that, that's when the foundation was poured. It's like I, I learned the proper bow hold. I had the good posture and I kind of, Jennifer told me I had like naturally good sound anyway. That was my teacher at Mon, And I think that part kind of came naturally to me. It's, you know, obviously speaking as to another voice, is like a an ongoing journey but um, (laughs) but um, like it some of it came natural to me like in in the ringing keys like d major and a major like they they kind of came naturally Mm. to me but that getting the correct posture and the correct bow hold that just made my sound ring a lot more And then I had some personal things happen and I was kind of out of commission for about another year. And then I started, I think it was September, 2013 online again. I, I think it was online with, uh, yeah, I was, I was back home in McCovic and I think that I was with the same teacher for about a year and a half and then during during that time 
the goal from day one was the audition for the music school. So we had all the repertoire picked and just kind of building on the foundation a bit more. Mm -hmm. And then I had, I had a grant from the IGA, which is the International Grenfell Association, and they funded my flight to St. John's. So in 2015, I auditioned in person, mm -hmm. and I just wish I had that, like, oh, that confidence to just, like, you didn't, like, it was kind of, like, naive confidence, I suppose. Like, I remember walking into the the choral room at Mun and Nancy and Vernon were there, and I just trotted in like it was nobody's business. And they looked at me <laughs> kind of like, oh, like, do you know, like, the seriousness of what you're doing? And I had no idea at the point of, like, how big of a journey this would be. Right. So I played two movements of Bach, I think it was from the D minor partita. I think I played the Allemande and the Gigue. Mm -hmm. And I played two movements of Handel. I think it was from the F major sonata. Mm -hmm. But the the big thing I think may have played a part in my downfall a little bit was I didn't have an accompanist playing with me. And there was nobody in Makovic. And if, even if there was somebody in Makovic, that would have like doubled the travel expenses and like all yeah. these things I didn't consider at the time. So I I think I played fine without that, but I didn't realize until like getting into Mon how important it is to listen to the piano part of what you're playing. Right. So I think I wasn't, after the audition in 2015, I wasn't hearing back from anybody because mm -hmm. I was under the impression that, like, you hear about your acceptance, like, in a few weeks. And right. I didn't hear anything until May. And then the dean at the time emailed me and said, please call me. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness, this is either really good or really bad. Right. <laughs> so I got on the phone with her, and she said, I think Nancy was talking to her and she said, like, you played really well at the audition, but you're not quite ready for like university level studies. And my heart was broken. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking like, what, like, what do I do now? So they, they actually gave me a few options. They said, you can come to the music school in the fall of 2015 but you won't be doing violin lessons. And I was thinking like, isn't that, the whole point of what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I declined the offer. So I, I could have been like a year ahead in theory and oral skills and history, but I'd be a year behind right. with violin lessons. So it, it wouldn't right. really work out. So I think I took a little bit of time off like that summer and I started playing again that fall. I think it was in like mid-November, I started lessons with Jennifer via Skype. And mm -hmm. the internet was about the same as it was like four years prior, but we we made do with everything. And what I found really interesting with that was I learned a lot of the bow strokes from Jennifer by ear. So right. we had like really bad connections and 
what we would end up doing after the lessons was we would talk about how to execute the bow hold with like a particular stroke and she would send the the pictures along and i remember i think we were doing i think it might have been like detache or sautier where you have to move your wrist and she right. showed me the the picture of like the regular bow hold and then how your fingers change when you're pulling the the bow along so right. what would happen was she would demonstrate it on the video and then as soon as she explained it and demonstrated it, the picture would freeze. So I was thinking, mm. like, okay, this is this is what I heard. And I think I think I replicated it fine, but it, it was just like this gap between knowing what to do and then making the sound that she produced. So yeah. there was there was kind of like a lot of discrepancies with my Bach playing because it was too smooth, if that's a thing. <laughs> right. Like it, the, like, it didn't really have the Baroque style to it. It was just almost like if you took a butter knife and you're just, like, going through butter. Like, there's no, like, <laughs> there was consistency there, but there was no style to my playing. Right. Like, everything was in tune. The rhythms were right for the most part. But, like, it didn't. I found it didn't really have much personality because the bow strokes sounded so similar. Right. So the following year in 2016, I actually auditioned again from home in Makovic and we, I contacted the principal in Makovic and he set up the polycom and I'll never forget walking into the music room and Nancy and Vernon were there on the other end. And I was like, Oh, this is way more intimidating than last time. And right. I remember there was something we couldn't do. I think I couldn't do the sight reading portion of the audition. So I think I substituted that for a cadenza. Mm. Something like that. It, it kind of like made up for the lack of sight reading. And right. when I was playing, I think. I had my Bach memorized, but I played, I think I played Handel, not Handel, Haydn. I uh, played Haydn for the, I think it was the G major, uh, I don't know if it was the concerto or the sonata. I think it was the G major concerto. Right, okay. And I, I remember when I was playing Bach, I could see in the corner of my eyes, Nancy was like nodding and she was making gestures with her right hand and she's nodding like, does that mean like my bow has improved <laughs> so that was kind of like an encouraging thing to see like in the corner of my eye and yes. my um the, the principal was my former teacher but he wasn't the principal at the time and he was actually like in the corner and he was kind of like nodding his head and I was like I don't know if this is good or bad. Like, I'm going to get messages here. Right. But uh, that was the end of February, I think, in 2016. And it was only a few weeks later I had an email from Mon, because I, I had my Mon account set up at the time. 
and it said congratulations and i'm thinking like did i win the lottery or like what happened <laughs> <laughs> so i opened it up and the pdf was there and it was my acceptance letter and i could not believe it because i i went in the second time with my man audition kind of like closure i was thinking if i don't get in this time I also applied to another school at CNA out here in St. John's and mm -hmm. I actually got accepted into both programs and okay. I wanted to do both, but it's like, you can't do two programs at the same time. Like you'd be super busy if you did. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking like the violin has always been a passion for me since I started playing. So I was thinking we'll do violin and then that fall, that's when you and I had met. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that <laughs> that's just an amazing story. And I mean, you know, you had to work so hard for that. You you were doing online lessons with low internet connection. You could hardly see and hear your teacher. And even with the rejection the first time, you know, your perseverance to go back and and do it again and then succeed. That's that's just so so inspiring, Kendra, you know. Well, I'm glad to hear that because that's kind of like the way people home have to take things. Like we have to learn things the hard way. Like a lot of people mm -hmm. home are like stubborn. It's like we're not we're not saying this is done until it's done. <laughs> right. <laughs> To me, the beginning of like having that acceptance letter in 2016 was kind of like the closure I needed to say, like, I did it. But little did I know that that was the beginning of the journey. I thought it was the end. It's like, okay, I got accepted into music school. Like, now what? And <laughs> I had no clue, like, what the workload was going to be like. And it just really took me by surprise. And... Now that I'm in my fifth year, it's like I finally got the hang of it. And it's like, it's almost over. Like, can we go back yeah. to like first year and like have the knowledge that I have now? But I know that's a part of the journey, but I kind of don't want it to end. It's kind of like, what what's going to happen like when I'm not a student anymore? Like, I just got so used to this lifestyle. It's like, I don't yeah. know how to like transition into like being a member of society again. Well, I always was, but, <laughs> but you know, it's like, how, how am I going to, you know, like be a productive member of the society? I know. And I mean, what you're saying, Kendra, about how you felt like it was the beginning and, or the end, and it was actually the beginning. Like I, I totally resonate with, with what you're saying. And I mean, for those listening, you know, I was in school with Kendra and she just skyrocketed as a violinist. Like it was incredible, you know, being a colleague of yours in school and seeing, you know, how much of an advanced violinist, you know, you've become. And so like you really should be, you know, so proud of like how hard you worked and you anyone could have given up and, you know, you didn't. You just kept pushing for that. And oh, we're gonna make again. me tear up. It's like we've both of us <laughs> and everyone that we've worked with in the studio, we've worked so hard to get to where we are. And I remember having my first 
in-person lesson with Jennifer and we tried to calculate like how many online lessons would we need to have covered like what we covered in class and we I think we guessed it to be four so like four Skype lessons would be like the same as one in-person lesson so once Jennifer would um like she'd reposition my elbow with my bow arm and she was saying like bring your your left hand over more this way and she could really get into making the posture as ideal as it could be that just made the violin open up so much more and it's just incredible to have that happen in real time oh my god yeah and i mean you know you were doing online lessons like you are the og online student (laughs) i mean because of covid like we're all switching to online and people are are frustrated but it's like you know you that's something that you had no choice. And I think, you know, your story, it kind of really, kind of really puts into perspective, you know, the privilege of, of classical musicians living in, in urban areas, you know, and, and we really lose sight of, you know, rural communities and they don't have the same resources. It's such a bigger fight to get to these places. Well, that's true because I had to do a few lessons, uh, uh, sorry, courses online in in grade school. And that right. I think that was established in like the early 2000s, like maybe 2002, 2003, maybe a little sooner than that. Right. But it's so uncommon out here in St. John's to hear people say like, oh, the class that I wanted to do isn't offered, so I'll do it on CDLI. And I remember... One of my best friends in grade, I think it was grade 11 or 12, we were hardly in any of the classes, in, in the same classes together, because she chose to do like different things that weren't offered in McCovic. Like she did physics online, and I think right. like biology, and like all these courses I didn't really have interest in. So we hardly right. got to see each other in the run of a school day, and we were together like each grade since like grade six, I think. So like I hardly ever got to see her and you'd go and check on her in the computer lab and it was just her with her headphones on, like plugging away at physics. And it's like, oh, it's better better you than me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I, I mentioned that to quite a few people, like when COVID struck back in March and everything shut down suddenly, when I got back home, it took me about maybe a week and a half to two weeks to like fully get settled in and like wrap my head around everything. Like I think everybody can relate to that. But once I found my groove with the rest of the assignments that I had to finish, it was a breeze. There was nothing to it. So it, it was probably like a similar situation for you where I was enrolled in so many classes and a lot of them just outright finished. And I had emails from the instructors and said, we're not continuing lessons. We'll figure out what your marks will be. Like a lot of it was like, you can either do pass or fail, or we can give you like a numbered mark. And like, it's up to you what you want to do. And out of all the classes I was enrolled in, I think there was only two that was left to complete online 
And one had like this really big project that I had to do. That was one of my music ed classes. And the other one was the functional keyboard class. And I had a ball with both classes, like knowing that I could do it from home. And like what you had mentioned earlier about urban areas, like with the privilege of studying music in person, I felt privileged to be working from home. Right. Like I was thinking I I had no restrictions on like like I'm a night owl. I, I really like working right. at night. So I remember mm. working on my big assignment in my music ed class. I'd be up until like one or two every night just plugging away and it's like I don't have to be up early in the morning. I can work at this as like as long as I want to. I'd start at like ten or eleven at night find my groove and just go for a few hours each night and then just I remember getting the like everything was done and I was just making sure like it was numbered properly and formatted properly and once I once I uploaded it it took kind of long so you, you kind of have to look at things in a positive light when things are working against you and just the example for that is this the internet is still slow at home, but it's a lot better than it was like when I was doing my Skype lessons, but it's like nothing compared to St. John's internet. So right. the, the way that I handled my schoolwork was I knew that the last file that I'd be submitting for my music ed class was going to be a big file. So I was thinking I, I should try to have it done maybe like two or three days before it's actually due so I can give it time to upload. Right. So that was like the incentive to complete everything. And it was a really fun project with the keyboard class in, in the fall semester when we were in person, our last project that we had to do, like the big assignment we had to do was an ensemble piece. And it was so much fun because there were only two of us in the class and I played piano and the other person played their instrument. And then I played the violin and I got accompanied on piano and it was so much fun. And our instructor was like our audience and we were trying to figure out like, how can we do this assignment again while we're in different, uh, different communities. And right. I, took it upon myself to do the video editing. We sent the videos to each other and I merged everything and it turned out beautifully. I loved it. That's amazing. So it was just so much fun to like sync up the violin with the piano and then my piano with the guitar and everything worked out fine. There, there were a few kinks in the road, but it all worked out perfectly in the end. We got really good marks and I was thinking this is something I would love to do, maybe not full time, but like this could be like a, a side project for me. So I'm trying to get into that more now, but I'm focusing on like finishing my degrees first. Right. No, and I, I really admire, you know, your positive attitude um, with all of these kind of hurdles that life throws and, you know, kind of, I wonder if you would also be willing to talk a bit about, you know, um, 
as your families in you and and um, of many people in your community. I was wondering if you could talk a bit about, you know, what intergenerational trauma means and kind of how you've seen that impact your home community and and how you see that might impact people wanting to pursue music or other academic routes. Right. So my understanding of intergenerational trauma is just, we'll just go back like a few generations. I'm thinking about my grandparents. So that's like two generations back. They have mm-hmm. dealt with things in their life that, you know, have been really traumatic and they didn't have the resources that we have now with, you know, our mental health and we can talk to a counselor or a therapist whenever we need to. They just kind of, I guess, dealt with the things as it happened because my I have family members who have been in residential schools and my mom's family was a part of the Hebron relocation in 1956. So they were uprooted from their home and brought to one of the five communities that's on the north coast of Labrador. So <laughs> kind of like the bittersweetness of that was like they got to pick where they wanted to go but a lot of people were like we don't want to go we want to stay in our home so um my grandpa handled that really well i think he was 16 at the time and like he he handled it really well but there were people his age now who hasn't handled it well and then he he started his family and he you know he got married and he had so many children, and one of them happened to be my mom. And I think, right. <laughs> I think that, um, like, like my grandpa was a great parent. I like I, I can say that with confidence because he's a great grandpa too. And yeah. well, he's he's also a great grandparent, but I'm saying great in the you know good sense. But I yeah. think. I think there were some undertones of him being relocated and his wife, which was my grandma, going to residential schools. I think there were some undertones there, maybe in their parenting that kind of seeped into their children. So I'm just kind of thinking like, not really talking about your problems and just kind of ignoring things if something bad happens. And that's kind of like the culture within my family. And I think it's safe to say that it's like that in on the North Coast in general. Like if we have issues, it's like, oh, we don't talk about that. And like that's not something we talk about. And oh, that's just within the family, you know, things like that. And I got that a bit from my parents and I was... I was kind of raised to be strong. Like I I know that we're resilient people, but it's like at the cost of almost like our survival. And I I talked to my mom a lot about that going through Mon and she was saying like, we were, we were trained to be like survivalists and we, we don't really know how to thrive when creativity shows its face. So right. it, it's just really hard to explain, but I think with the the experiences that my grandparents have had, it kind of trickled down into the next generations. But I'm, I'm really happy with how 
mental health has been getting such a good rep in the last few years. Like it's, it used to be kind of taboo to talk about like, oh, I'm seeing a therapist or, you know, I asked somebody for help today. I find back home, you you kind of have to deal with things on your own. And that's that's where we get a lot of our resilience from. But we're also learning now that it's okay to ask for help. And that's something that I'm I'm trying to change as well. It's like it's it's okay to, you know, take a day off. It's okay to have a break and like you don't have to push yourself to your limits each day. And I think it's my generation that's only realizing that now. Right. And with with the music into all of that. It's so interesting because I think there's a lot of hidden talent home. Like a lot of people, if if you gave somebody like a guitar or a violin, they're just going to take right to it. They're like, they have like a natural understanding of like chord progressions. And I think people home could really thrive with a music scene, but we're just not given the opportunity like people in the city are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for speaking about that. Um, oh, for sure. I, I obviously, I would never want you to speak more um, about any anything like that than you'd be comfortable, but I really appreciate your openness. And I think that's something that, you know, we don't talk about enough and we don't ask the right people those questions. And, you know, as your family has experienced like residential schools, um, I really appreciate, you know, your openness um, about that as well. Yeah, I found that since the reconciliation happened a few years ago, I found that my family has been a bit more open to talking about it. And it just makes you realize how much they went through to get their education. Like, I really don't think it was worth the pain to, you know, be uprooted and leaving your home. And I think I think they would leave in like grade eight or nine. And then they'd, I think, I think just thinking of like my dad's generation, I think they could do up to grade eight in McCovic and then they had to leave for grade nine to grade 12. And right. a few of my family members have went through that, but a lot of them are not open to talking about it. Right. And I remember like last time we talked, you mentioned like you only recently found out that your grandfather went to residential school. It's like that wasn't something that was even talked about till recently. Yeah, that was only like within the last year, I think. And I was thinking like wow. that like that never popped up in like my entire childhood with him. And right. I was so close to my mom's parents. I spent like every summer with them. They they only lived down the road from uh, where my parents lived, but <laughs> my parents had a hard time getting me home. It's like, even on like weekends and school nights, I wanted to be there and there. And mom was like, no, you got to stay home with us tonight. And I was like, oh, I almost like threw a tantrum. Like, no, I want to be with my grandparents. I just love spending Aww. time with them. And it was the same yeah. thing with my dad's parents, but they had passed away like while I was a child. So I didn't know them as well as my mom's parents. Right. But it was the same with them too, you know, spend the nights with them and like it, it was really big with like grandchildren and grandparents 
spending a lot of time together. Like that's really big in Inuit culture too. That's so nice. That's it, it's nice. really wholesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, thinking on that topic, like, you know, Makovic was essentially colonized um, by missionaries um, in, in the late 1800s. Is that is that correct? Like, I think so. I don't know the exact year, but I, I think you're right in saying that. Yeah. And I mean, so much of classical music is very Christian based and and music education. I'm wondering, like, do you think that that can be traumatizing and, and intimidating and, and that could be a barrier for, you know, Indigenous inclusion, the, the focus on, on the Western Christian roots of our classical music? Yeah, I think so. There were, there were a few instances where I saw that in music history at Mun, and it made me realize that I wasn't really tailored for that kind of course. So in all honesty, music history was like my least favorite of all the classes that we had to do. And it's because of that, it, it made me realize like even the people back in like the Baroque era and the classical romantic era, like these people were privileged too. And like there was no talk about like, Indigenous people making music at the time, even though there were Indigenous people making music at the time, it just didn't make the cut for the textbook. And right. if it did, it might have been like a paragraph out of a chapter. Right. But that, with that being said, a lot of people ask me about like the, the Inuit traditions and it's really sad to say, but I was like in between generations for that. So the people that were maybe five or six years older than me, they got to do the throat singing. And then the people that were five or six years younger than me, they got to do the drum dancing. So I was like the in-between who didn't get to experience any of that. So it, it almost feels like there's like a little puzzle piece missing of me and it's like I'd like to get that filled but I don't really know where to go for like the resources for that because it's not as like readily available as like something at the music library where we can just go and look up like it's more of like an oral tradition right I mean yeah sometimes like when I hear about you know the Moravian music and and that kind of European classical music that was kind of forced upon indigenous communities in Labrador um, and how it's been adopted. It's it just something feels wrong about that. Like, how do you feel about, about that? I don't really think it was wrong, but like, I think factually it was wrong. But the right. way that I think about that is once that music was introduced to to the indigenous people home, they like added their own signature to that. So right. the way that I think about that is we we kind of like integrated cultures into that, but Okay. I, I get what you're saying with that because I, I never really like put it into words before, but I found 
like in recent years talking about that that Inuit people didn't really have like one solid identity like it was Inuit with like German music and it was like Inuit with something else like it wasn't fully Inuit so I find with that you're kind of left with like an identity crisis like what am I really like am I Inuit or like am I like a descendant of these missionaries or like which which part do I identify with and I think that's something that I still struggle with because mm-hmm. I actually really enjoy the Moravian music in the church but mm-hmm. the foundation of that was I think maybe built on ill intentions so right. it, it kind of throws a wrench into my logic it's like do like the music is beautiful but the, totally. the idea behind it is not beautiful so like with that i'm kind of like i'm thrown off it's like i i really enjoy playing that kind of music and i've i've played i think it was this past summer and the summer before like summer 2019 and summer 2020 i've played a lot in church and the people home as a community really enjoy that and Mm -hmm. you don't really feel like any ill intent there but like once you dig into it a bit it's like this music was kind of like thrown upon us without us having any say in it right so i mean you left kind of like conflicted yeah absolutely and i mean of course i don't nearly have the understanding or the perspective that you have but i really it's it's I feel like it's totally fair to be conflicted and still find it beautiful and and I find you know what you said about you know it's it's not just the German music it it has you know Inuit culture and it has all these other aspects and and it's it's become its own entity that's a great way to put it I I feel like I'm just trying to I'm repeating the awesome thing that you just said. Yeah, I think that's a good way <laughs> um, to put it. No, but I mean, I, I again, I, I love how you're able to have these kind of positive outlooks, um, but also question. And I feel like that's, yeah, that's just really important to hear. Um, well, like the like what I said earlier about kind of being conflicted with your identity, like even our language, like Inuktitut has a lot of loan words from German. So people would say like, I think just as a couple examples, I think the days of the week are in German, like partly German. And the what's really interesting is that the numbers that we count with and the numbers that are on the clock are different. So okay. like the, the numbers that we count out loud are like full on inuttitut, but then once you get to the clock, they're all in German. So I remember telling somebody the time in inuttitut out here in St. John's, and they're like, you know, you're speaking some German, right? And I was like, I know that it's derived from German, but you're kind of inadvertently taking away from my culture because, yeah, you know, it's like I'm 
trying to embrace like my Inuit heritage and you're kind of taking that away from me by saying it's German. So like, am I German or am I Inuit? Right. And like, I'm totally on like the Inuit side of everything. But, yeah. I mean, it's not taking away from the, the German portion, but it's almost like you can't have anything. It's like you can't just have one thing and just have it be that, you know? Right. Someone has to say, oh, you're you're using German. It's like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is my culture. This yeah, is... exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I'm wondering, like, on that note, like, what did you find like, going to St. John's, going to Newfoundland? And, and I mean, I'm from Ontario and, you, you know, I'm from Ontario and I, I went to St. John's. But even, you know, the ways that I hear people talk about Labrador, um, I've, I've yeah. heard some, you know, kind of derogatory context um and what did you know what's your experience with that um, well what what i find really interesting is with saint john's it's kind of like they can't see the forest from the trees it's like well, <laughs> when you're talking to people from saint john's out here it's like oh this is newfoundland and labrador and it's like i've heard with like especially like within the last year they're trying to be like more inclusive with Labrador and we'd right. say like the, like if you go to like a concert or something like St. John's Newfoundland and Labrador presents this. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, nothing of this concert has anything to do with Labrador. Like right. if you're just trying to make Labrador feel included because it's like a part of the province, but I find like living out here, and once people know that you're from Labrador, you you actually get treated differently. And I spent a lot of time at the Aboriginal office and they, they recently changed their name. I'm just going to pop up what the new name is. I can't remember off the top of my head. And uh, just on a, another note, um, I have my USB plugged into like 49 minutes in. And I might have to change the battery in my microphone. Oh my gosh, no worries at all. So just just a heads up if I cut out, that's just the um the battery dying. Oh totally. We can always just plug back in. Yep. Um I'm just trying to find the it used to be the ARO, which was the Aboriginal Resource Center. Hmm. And I'm just trying to find the new name. Just a second. It's the ICR, sorry, ISRC, which stands for the Indigenous Student Resource Center. Okay. So they, they had a name change, I think it was this year. So they're, they're rebranding and they're, they're like broadening their horizons. Um, I don't know if you remember, but there was a house next to the music school on Elizabeth Avenue. Um, on the when you get to the music school um, from Elizabeth, on the right hand side there was a house like further to the front. That's where it's located. Okay. They used to be in the UC, but now they moved to this little house. Okay. But I think they're not open to students right now because of COVID. Right. But I'm, I'm really excited to see, like, I've seen the blueprints and 
Unfortunately, I don't think I'll get to see the inside of the house because I'm going back for my final semester in Makovic. Right. So probably won't be seeing that anytime soon. Like I, it may be opened by like November or December, but like I don't I don't know how how that would work. But going back to the the whole Labrador bit, um, nothing was like really said to me, like der like in terms of like derogatory um, sayings or anything. But mm -hmm. you kind of like people change their impressions of you once they know you're from Labrador. Like right. I've I kind of found that interacting with other members of the music community, not necessarily like the music school, but like functions and concerts and different things associated with the school and not with the school, you kind of get the impression that people are looking at you like, like, oh, this is what you decided to do. Like, you show you didn't right. want to do like a trade or something. It's like, no, I wanted to do music. Like, this is... This is my passion and I just I gotta work a little bit harder to be on the same level as everybody else, but but I'm here. And just you kind of get like a kind of like a patronizing and condescending tone with people sometimes, like, oh you play the violin, like oh how sweet. It's like at the university level violin is not sweet. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No. Like there's like blood, sweat, and tears go into getting to the level that we got. And oh, absolutely. people just, I don't know, they, they just kind of like, the impression that I got was kind of like disbelief. Like you, like you go into music school, like what's up with that? So just like a few bad things have happened at Mon, like with being from Labrador, like I've had a few racist remarks and the one in particular stood out, but the the majority of it was like ignorance. It's like they, they like you don't. I didn't really know how to approach that because when I was in first year, I was all about like I'm Inuit. This is who I am. I'm kind of like mm -hmm. um, kind of like parading it around, and then like going into second year. I was still like that. And I remember saying, like, I introduced myself to somebody and I said, I'm Inuit. And they just looked at me deadpan. And I was like, I know. And wow. it's like, oh, like you don't realize the awesomeness of having an Inuit person in like a white dominated field. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that just I just boiled that down to like ignorance. It's like you don't know what I had to do to work here because the work to get here, I mean, and there's so many experiences that people have that are similar. That's almost like a given, just like, yeah. this is a couple of examples, like extracurricular activities, like working in the, or playing in the youth orchestras and you've had private lessons since grade school, at like a young age, probably like elementary school. And mm -hmm. You had like a private lesson every week for like the past 10 years or so. And it's like, I didn't have that. I didn't like, I didn't yeah. know how to hold the bowl correctly until I was 22. And then right. most people are done their degree by that age. So 
See, try to try to put that in perspective. Oh my God, absolutely. And what what you said, Kendra, I mean, you're so right. Like you it's such a blessing to have your perspective in the classical music community. I mean, I've heard it, you know, when I hear your sound, I hear such a unique musical sound, like a perspective. And I, I truly mean that. And I think like you're saying, it is a unique perspective and people, they're, they're just ignorant, like you said. Um, and it doesn't matter how late you started or whatever, you know, you are just about completed your Bachelor of Music, you're an incredible violinist, and the journey that you went through and that you're still going through, no one will have that narrative right. in their music. I'm glad you so. put it that way because I I want to show people home. Like um, Jennifer said, it was like trailblazing and like being a pioneer. And I'm like, pioneers existed like 300 years ago. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like my way of thinking. But I, I want to show the people home that, you know, this can be done. Yeah. And like we have to work really hard. And I don't want to take away from people out here who get into music school, I know they work their butts off too, but like we've got so, it's different. Yeah, we've got so many things working against us. And yeah. I think it was for the first maybe two years of music school, like coming out in first year and then coming back in second year, even though I was here for like the, the way that I measured it was I was, in St. John's for two thirds of the year, and I was back in McCovic for one third. So I was in St. John's more than I was home. But once I got back and started another semester, like in, in a new school year, I still experienced culture shock. Like mm -hmm. I still got, like I got used to being home. And there are a lot of like struggles that we deal with, like food is expensive flying is expensive travel is expensive all this and that but that's what i'm used to like that's what i grew yeah, up yeah. with and like with with that my family taught me to like make do with what you have and just like as an example for that is like food so it's like my mom would be like okay we've got potatoes and we've got meat what can we do with this? <laughs> you know, we're going to like yeah. mush something together. And out here, it's like, okay, we're going to have like a fancy five course meal. It's just a drive down the road. It'll be super affordable and we'll be fed for like a week. And with, with right. home, I remember a couple of years ago with my mom, like the only thing that was like consistently available with potatoes. And my mom was like cutting up right. potatoes and she's like, I'm sick of eating these. <laughs> <laughs> so like she got really creative with cooking them so it was like home fries and like mashed potatoes baked potatoes boiled potatoes and it's like you're just working with what you have but out here there's so many options right i kind of went on like a potato tangent there but <laughs> <laughs> no i appreciate that and i mean this is the stuff that's that's worth talking about that we don't talk about, you know? 
but I found I kind of took my lifestyle that I had in Labrador and I took it out here with me and a lot of people kind of like laughed at what I was doing because like my mom taught me to have like extra things on hand because like in the last few years in Makovic and probably the other communities too when the the shipping season with the just before the shipping season would open with the boats we had like this period of maybe like a month or less where it was too bad to be on skidoo and it was too icy for the boats to run so the stores would like run out of food right. so like we'd have to stock up on staples like rice and potatoes and like bathroom stuff like toilet paper paper towel soaps and all that i think it was 20 i think it was 2015 or 2016 there was like a dish dish soap shortage so like what okay. you uh, used to like, clean your dishes there was none none to get wow. so people were like ordering it in from goose bay and one of my cousins said like oh we should bootleg it <laughs> like selling soap <laughs> like that's, oh that's, like that's the reality it's like that's how it yeah. is and once i moved out here i stocked up on everything like i had like extra bottles of shampoo on hand and body wash and stuff for the bathroom and the kitchen and like people laughed at me they're like why do you have so much of this and that and it's like that's what i was taught to do and it's like yeah. the benefit for out here is like i don't have to go to the store as often but like people totally. people are like people who are from here would say like oh you can just go and get that whenever you need to but it's like i don't have that luxury because i did like the entirety of my degree out here without a vehicle and that's like yeah. a whole other topic that we could get into yeah that's also kind of why you know people might find it weird that i wanted to make a podcast that focused on music and biking yeah, <laughs> but i mean so cool. it's like yeah it's just like you know cycling is a way that people can get around without you know re realistically like vehicles are our privilege and and we need to get used to the fact that you can't all use vehicles there's not enough room there's not enough gasoline right and we're running out <laughs> and that's kind of yeah that's that's you're right that is a whole other <laughs> rabbit hole we could get oh, down totally i remember seeing oh. your logo first like a few weeks ago with you with you on the bike and i actually had that same experience this summer because i use a pedal bike in makovic when oh my goodness when we don't have snow we had snow for like half the year but i remember like getting the bike out and getting the chains greased up and cleaning the rust off all this and that and i actually put my violin on my back the same as you like even yeah, before yeah. i knew about this and i asked my dad i was like do you think i can go up the road with the fiddle on my back he said put it on and see so I went yeah the house and went up the road and oh it was nothing to it no not at all and that's the thing like i feel like when i first started biking with the violin on my back i felt like kind of a 
you know, oh, this is kind of like a weird looking situation. Like people are probably going to laugh from the car is like, what are you doing with the violin? And it's kind of funny because it's maybe it's not something people see. But I guess that was kind of the perfect image for this podcast because, you know, I want to talk about things that we just that shouldn't be considered abnormal, you know, things that just need to change and, and need to be better. And, and, you know, that, I think that kind of ties into, you know, a lot of, a lot of what we're talking about. Oh, totally. You know, I've totally kept you so much longer than, than I planned Kendra, but honestly, this has just been really an incredible conversation. And I, I just want to ask before you go, if, if you would briefly talk, cause we've talked about this before and, you know, your goals to be a music educator in Labrador. Um, if you would just briefly kind of talk about that. Yeah, it's it goes back to kind of like what we said earlier about um, like how people out here have like, like readily available access to lessons and private lessons and all this and that and like, you could pick an instrument and say, well, we don't have that instrument. You can go and rent it. Like none of that is available home. And even mm-hmm. in like creating a job with music is a task home. I, like I didn't know up until I think it was like last year or the year before that the music position that started when I was in grade nine, that was like a year or so in the works. Like they had to pick the instrument that they were going to get and like happened to be they picked a violin and then they had to create the position within the Nunatsia of a government and the school board I think to actually put it together and like out here it's like a job that's readily available in the schools and it's not it's not like that in Labrador so I don't like I actually don't know how it's going to work to try and bring that back. Like, I don't know if this is going to be like contract work or Mm -hmm. if this is going to be like a new position that's going to be available at the school home. But the, the big goal is I I keep reminding myself that McCovic already has the instruments of course they're going to need a ton of work and like, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm ready for that challenge and I know that the people home want to play music and I'm thinking like children and adults alike, like I would love to have like adult students too, because I know you could use like a bit more mature terminology, but on this, in the same vein, I love like the children analogies. Like right. one of the ones that I learned with one of the teachers out here was I had this really bad problem with my bow, uh, with my bow hand creeping up as I was playing. So I, I don't know what happened, but my fingers would just kind of like crawl up the bow. And my teacher told me that I had creepolitis. And she was saying, you tell <laughs> a child that they have creepolitis and they will fix their bow hand instantly. <laughs> like, like a little incentive. So right. like, anything like, I think they may have like associated that with like a monster in your hand or something like you don't want to have a monster in your hand. So I I really enjoy that side of it too. So like, it's, Mm -hmm. it's the same coin, you know, it's 
it's teaching like all around. But the one of the courses that I'm hoping to do this winter is the math methods class for primary and elementary. So what that would mean is when, when I'm done, I'll be able to teach math K to six as well as music K to 12. So kind of getting my foot put in the door is like, I, I never really spoke to anybody home about this yet because I'm still in the midst of everything. But mm -hmm. to try to get my foot in the door, I was thinking if I could teach math at home for maybe like a year or so, I could have my private studio on the go. I have a studio in my house at home. It's still like in the works, but it, it would be like functional by the time, but like I hopefully get a job and then maybe integrate that into the public school system, like within the next couple of years. Right. But uh, in that same tangent, I'm actually going to be continuing school next summer in hopefully in Vancouver. Wow. And that's going to be in the same vein as music, but it's going to be audio engineering. Wow. So that's, I'm really excited for that too. So my education is not done yet, but yeah. music education is hopefully in the cards, like within the next couple of years for home. Absolutely. And I mean, I think at this point, like, whether or not you go back, and I know that's in your plans, but, you know, you have kind of, you are a trailblazer, I'd say as well for your, you know, your community. And that's going to show more people in your community know what's possible. And, you know, you can be that resource person for people who maybe want to audition for music school or, or you could be their, their digital teacher if there isn't one. And, and you know, those, the ropes for that kind of, that kind of programming. So I think it's incredible what you've done and what you're still doing. Oh, thank you. I think with the audio engineering, that's going to help with the technical side of getting everything set up because I do want to have a part of my studio where I can teach remotely. I want to have it like aimed towards the North Coast, but I want it open for everybody. Right. So this, they, they kind of like take priority because I'm like really biased about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, no, totally. open to like anybody who wants to do that, but I, I will deal with that when when I get to that bridge. It's like not quite time to look at that yet, but it's it's kind of like on my back burner. Totally. Kendra, I appreciate this so much. And, you know, for those listening, I, I saw, you know, Kendra had a post um a week or a couple of weeks ago on Orange Shirt Day about, you know, she was kind of sharing, um, you know, some of her experiences. And I thought, you know, I really, I've, I've known Kendra for a few years and I just, I really want people to hear what Kendra has to say, because again, I, I can't say this enough. She has such an incredibly unique perspective and speaks so articulately and is, you know, such a, talented artist in music and visual arts and I think you know Kendra you truly are you know a musician I, I really highly respect and I'm just so thankful you could 
you could speak on this episode. Oh, thank you so much for having me too. It's just a great bonding moment for us too, because we used to be neighbors and oh, I, <laughs> I really miss seeing you next door. And I'm just really happy that you asked me to be a part of your podcast. It's such an honor. Oh my gosh, well, it's such an honor to have you. And I, I mean, I miss those days of, of being neighbors. And and I mean, I after I haven't been out to Labrador and, and based on this COVID-19 shenanigans, I don't know when we'll be traveling again, but that is definitely one of the first places in Canada that I, I really want to see. It just looks absolutely beautiful. And, and from so much of what I've heard um, from you, I definitely Labrador and and Makovic at that is, is one of the first places I wanna I wanna visit when all of these travel restrictions are are lifted. I'm, I'm hoping that's going to be sooner rather than later. And oh, I'm, I know completely biased towards everything, but it's just home is just beautiful. And like with COVID, I really took the opportunity to like reconnect with nature, home. So mm-hmm. there. Just like living in isolation, like prepared me for everything that's happening in the world right now. Like the, right. the day that I got back to Makovic back in March was the day that they put in the two week isolation after traveling. And it was fine. Like, yeah. <laughs> they told me, like, you, you can still be out and about, but like, you got to keep your distance. And it's like, we're very distanced home anyway so I was like out on my my skidoo and like gone to the cabin and a couple blizzards in the mix so it was like (laughs) so it was like nothing to it you were prepared your resilience and oh my god yeah well, thank you again so much, Kendra. I'm sorry for how much of your time oh, I've no, taken up today. I really appreciate the chat and like we really got to know each other, like talking about everything. And I like I really think this is a great bonding moment for us too. I totally agree. Um, so guys, this is Kendra Jock. And Kendra, is there a place where we can follow you online? Do you have like an online presence or is that to come? Um, it's to come, but my sure. my personal Instagram, I'm pretty active on Instagram, like with stories, and I don't really post much, but like I'm always available. Um, my Instagram is rusty.chainsaw. You can follow me okay. on there if you want to. Thank you so much, Kendra, and I can't wait till we chat again. Oh, I'm looking forward to it too, Sus. Thank you very much for having me. Of course. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to Violinist on a Bicycle. I'm your host, Susie McKenzie Souter, and that was our guest, Kendra Jock. That was an incredibly powerful episode. I think so much of what Kendra's shared with us can really reflect on and, and truly admire her fight to study and pursue classical music in a classical music world and society of Canada that is highly colonialist in nature. I'm so happy for Kendra and I'm excited to see what she does next and the people that she inspires along the way. She's already inspired me and a ton of other people. 
Thank you again for listening. This podcast was made using Anchor and can be streamed on all major streaming platforms. So check it out, share it around, and I'll talk to you next time.